get your Bible, turn to John chapter 6. We want to talk for a few minutes about the common denominator of the miracles of Jesus. The, the start, start, with, start with the miracles of Jesus, though. Start with that and just think about how awesome it would have been to have been present at the time of those miracles. A couple of different occasions of feeding of thousands of people with just a few loaves and fish or... Um, the, the, the lame being raised to walk, the, 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 the dead coming back to life, blind eyes being opened, water turned to wine. I mean, think about the miracles of Jesus. Have you ever, have you ever when reading those or studying those or, or, or talking with someone else about them, ever made a statement or thought in your mind, wow, I, I would have liked to have been there for that. Have you ever done that? I would have loved to have seen that. A couple years ago when, when we were in Israel, we had the opportunity to go to what is believed to be the site where that the feeding of the thousands took place. I, I got to be honest, I was a little surprised at the location because I thought when that many people, I think it was 5,000 and that was just the men. So maybe 15,000 people uh, were sitting in this one location. And as I looked at that location and what was there, I thought, Wow, you know, I'd always opened it. I always had pictured this big old open field, a huge open field that that maybe they had sat in. But no, there were there were trees and 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 there were there were different foliage and different things around that people would have had to sit different places, kind of scattered around. But to just stand there and to think, you know, per, this is probably they think this is probably the place where Jesus stood and broke those fish and loaves. And handed them to the disciples, and then the disciples distributed them to the people. And what an awesome feeling that was to, to be somewhat connected, to at least feel connected to that miracle. How cool would it have been to have been there whenever he was doing these miracles? And... I, I've studied them. I mean, I've read, I've read the word I don't know how many times as you have. I've read it back and forth different ways. I've been studying this word for a long, long time. But I discovered that there is a common denominator in all of the miracles of Jesus that they did not just happen. They were not just magical events that, that Jesus did out of thin air. We, we want to have this picture of Jesus as being this fellow that people trailed around and he would just speak and, and, and sometimes he spoke to, to the wind and the, and, the, and the water and different things. But, but we have this picture of Jesus, you know, he would just stand up and, and, and say, you know, look at my hands, there's nothing in my hands. And then there'd be a fish, there'd be a loaf. And people would be like, wow. But that's not how any of his miracles worked. There's a common denominator found in every miracle of Jesus. He didn't just turn water into wine. Somebody had to go fill the pots with water at the water hole and carry them back and take them upstairs. There's a lot of work that went into that miracle before the water ever became wine. You remember the story of the money in the mouth of the fish? 
where they had to pay their taxes. And they said, how are you going to do it? And Jesus said to one of the guys, go down and catch the first fish, take the coin out of its mouth. Now, hang on a minute. That's pretty cool. You're like, wow, they took money out of a fish's mouth. Somebody had to go down to the river and bait a hook and wait until they caught a fish. And then hold that fish down. I don't know how y'all are with all that, but a fish big enough to have a coin like that in his mouth, pretty good sized fish. Hold that thing down while it's wriggling and writhing and reach down in its throat and take that coin out. Somebody had to do that. It didn't just spit the money up for them. In every case, somebody had to do something. The blind had to go wash. The dead, you say, well, I got you on that one, Pastor. The dead doing anything, they were dead. Somebody did something. It, weren't, it was not the dead, but it was somebody else that had to go roll the stone away so the dead could get back out when they came back to life. Somebody had to do something in every case. It wasn't just Jesus magically poofing things into existence, although he could. Because he did at the beginning. He chose after that, when he came to this earth, from that point on, he chose to allow us, for whatever reason, to get to be a part of what he was doing. Somebody had to give him the fish and loaves. The little boy in our story today, I don't think anybody went up to him and slapped him around and stole his lunch. I think they said, hey, kid, the Lord needs those fish and loaves, man. He's fixing to do a miracle, but you're the only one has got anything. We need what you got. And he said, well, here it is. Somebody had to give or do something. It is the common denominator found throughout all of the miracles of Jesus. Somebody did or gave something in every instance for him then to take and work with. My question to you is this, when it comes to us, what does he have to work with? John 6, verse 5. When Jesus lifted up his eyes, he saw a great crowd coming to him, and he said to Philip, where are we going to buy loaves so that these may eat? And he said this to test him, because he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, loaves for 200, uh, for 200 denarii are not enough for them, that everyone may take a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, well, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, well, make the men recline. And there was much grass in the place. So the men reclined, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and, to, and the disciples then to those who were reclining. Likewise, they did the same with the fish, as much as everybody wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that are left over so that nothing's lost. And they gathered up 12 basketfuls with fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over to those who had eaten. Now, you know the story. It's a pretty amazing miracle. There's a lot of messages that are preached from this passage right here. There's the, one, there's the message about a little boy that's willing to give his lunch. That's a great message. You've heard that one. There's the message about what Jesus can do with just five loaves and two fish, two sardines. That's a good one. You've heard that one. Nothing wrong. It's a good one. You've heard the message about how that in this story, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. That's a good one, too. 
Then there's the message about the obedience of the disciples and having the people to sit down and do what he tells them to do. There's the message about obedience. Then there's the message about the leftovers. Twelve baskets where we learn the message, the point of there's always a return on an investment given to Christ. I mean, there's a lot of good messages can be preached from these passages. They're all great topics to teach on. But I want to focus on something different than any of those today. And and before I go any further, I want to mention the formula. And that's not what I'm going to speak about very much either. But I do want to mention the formula uh, by which all of this took place. The formula was this. Once this was given to him, then Jesus blessed what was given to him. He broke what was given to him and he multiplied what was given to him. Now you say, well, I hear you talk like that all the time, Pastor. Whenever you pray over the offerings, you're always praying that. You know why I do that? Here is the formula. Here's where I get it from and that's why I pray it. It works. So I always ask God to do what he's done in the past, scripturally. Take what we give you, bless it, break it, and multiply it. Because if you will, it'll go further than it ever could on its own. Now, if you've been with me very long, you've heard me say it a hundred times. It comes from here. There's a formula that works. But even that is not what I want to spend my time talking about this morning. But I do have to wonder how many miracles did not happen because somebody was not willing to give their fish and their loaves. How many stories are not in the Bible that would have been because when given the opportunity to put something in his hands, they refused to do so. And so here's what I want to do today. I'm going to just give you two points, just two. They're not long. They're very logical. You don't have to think a lot about them. Not going to give a whole lot of application and illustration along with these. No points, no poems, no none. Just two statements, very logical statements that you can bank on these statements now. And you should get your pen out and you should write them down either in your Bible or on your bulletin or or, or on your hand or somewhere. The first statement that I want to share with you this morning is this, based on these verses of Scripture. Number one, he will not bless, break, and multiply anything you withhold from him. Now, that's just a straight-up, logical deduction from these verses. He will not bless, break, or multiply anything. Anything that you withhold from him. Let that sit for a minute. Here's what it means. If you hold your money from God, you're on your own. Because he will not bless, break, and multiply your money. Well, let's take it a step further. If you hold your life from God, you're on your own. If you hold your relationships away from God, you're on your own. And that, folks, is what you should be afraid of. The only ones of us that are truly covered and guarded are the ones who have surrendered our entire lives to God. A lot of people... Make statements such as, you've heard him say it, we're going to get married when we can, we're going to have kids when we can, 
We're going to start tithing when we can. Pray for us, Pastor. We're trying to win the lottery because we're going to give 10% of our findings and earnings and winnings to the Lord if we win. No, you're not. I could, I could tell whether you will or not. All I have to do is go in and ask them to pull up the giving records, which I don't do, but I can go in there and ask him. And if it says that you're a faithful tither and a generous giver above and beyond, then if you win the lottery, I guarantee you, you would tithe. But if you're not tithing right now, you won't. You can win $10 million. Still wouldn't give a dime of it. Why? Because you don't think you can afford to. And the reason you don't think you can afford to comes from a very base feeling, and that is fear. All control always boils down to fear. In any situation, if a husband or a wife is trying to control the relationship, it's because they fear not being in control. If a person holds on to money, it's because they fear not being in control. That's why some people, they want to go to heaven and they'll come forward at a special emotional time in the service and they'll pray a prayer and even tears will run down their cheeks. But they don't fully surrender their life to God. Therefore, they're not really saved because until you give him everything, you might as well not give him nothing. Somebody say amen. And it all boils down to fear. I am afraid To give him it all. Now, I would give him my soul. That's what they're saying. I don't want to go to hell, so I'll give him my soul. But I'm not going to give him my now. I will give him my life after death, but I'm not going to give him my life right now. Why? Because they're afraid to turn loose of that. It's a control issue. And it is, hang on, sin. It's sin. So that believers who determine that they're going to follow certain excerpts of the word, but not other parts of that, are basically saying we are choosing to live in sin, which means we are under a, what's the word? Curse. Pastor, you've just been manipulating and manipulating this morning. First of all, you want us to go down and vote. Now you're going to try... I'm not trying to manipulate you. I've been in my office praying that I wouldn't come across that way. But I will always share with you the truth. God, I don't want to manipulate. If you don't want to, if you don't want to receive this message, you won't anyway. If this message makes you mad, you won't receive it anyway. And I've been called worse than a manipulator. He will not bless, break, and multiply anything you withhold from him. Pastor, I don't understand it. I mean, I'm coming to church every week. I'm I'm reading my Bible, but I still just can't seem to get things on track. Are you tithing? Well, no. Why not? Well, we can't afford to, but when we can, we're going to. You're still shooting yourself in the foot. Or you are tithing and giving, but you're not faithful to his house and you don't say whatever it is, something that's going on. And I'm not talking about about you trying to earn your way to heaven. I'm talking about the, the, the chosen lifestyle of an individual that wants to be a disciple of Christ who will commit to the to what it takes to do that. They will commit with a dedication to what that's going to entail. And anyone that withholds certain parts or aspects of that are doing so for a reason. It is because, bottom line, they're controlling it because they fear to turn loose of a certain aspect of their life. 
I'm sick, pastor. I'm dying with a disease. I'm praying to get better. Well, have you surrendered it to God? No, I can't. I just can't. Well, he can't bless, break, and multiply anything that you're withholding. Very simple statement. There's not a whole lot else to say about that. But the second statement that I can make is this. He will bless, break, and multiply anything that you give to him. That's the second statement. He will. You give him all your money, he will bless, break, and multiply that money, and it'll go further than it ever could on its own. People, when, every week, whenever I stand up here, I talk about giving our tithes and our offerings. There's some people that want to clap. Sometimes they, they, they hold themselves back. There's some people that literally get excited about that part of the service. Now, there's some people get mad every week. Every week when I talk about it. Some people quit our church because I, I talk about it. They said, you talk about tithing every week. Well, yeah, I talk about Jesus every week, too. I talk about worship every week. I talk about a lot of biblical things every week. That's what I do. But there's some individuals, every time we talk about, hey, here's something, here's a way that we're going to, here's a way we're going to be able to give. And it's not always monetarily. Sometimes I'm talking about, hey, here's an opportunity that we're going to have to, to go do this. We're going to have an opportunity to go serve. We're going to have an opportunity to go feed someone. We're going to have an opportunity to go do a missions trip, whatever. It is. There's some people that are like, yes, yes, I love this stuff. I love it when we're going to go do something. And there's others like, ah, I ain't in all that. I ain't big on that leaving the country stuff. You know, when people say, I ain't big on doing that mission stuff, you know what they're saying? I'm afraid. I'm holding on to control. Not that you have to go on every missions trip. I'm not saying that. But, I'm, but I am saying that when people say, ah, you know what, I, I, you know, I, I just, I'm not going to. I'm not, I'm not going to go down there and vote on Tuesday. Somebody might see me. It might hurt my business. You know what that is? That's control, fear. I might lose money over somebody sees me voting like that. It's fear. But we have a promise from the Lord that anything that we put in his hands, he will bless, break, and multiply. And it doesn't matter what the enemy tries to do, the devil or the people that run with him. It don't make any difference. Nobody will be able to stop the blessings, the breaking, and the multiplication that Jesus will do in the life of an individual that will surrender everything they have to him. So every decision you make, you make it based on is this what God would have me to do, regardless of what it might cost? Regardless of what it does to my reputation? Regardless of what it might do to my finances? Because you know what? The person that's truly surrendered to the Lord realizes, hey, my body's not mine. My health is not mine. My money's not mine. My house is not mine. I don't own anything, but all I have is Jesus. And he has all I have. And a person that can make that kind of a commitment is in for a blessed life. Because God is going to use them in miraculous and wonderful ways. Because they're not constantly trying to control and tell God, Well, you can do this through me, but not that. Well, I'll follow you here and I'll obey you there, but not over there. He'll go with you and before you and all that you have will be blessed. Now, I'm not just talking about earthly things, but everything that truly matters in this life and eternally, God will go before you and he will be your guide and he will be your guard on everything that you put in his hands. 
So I look at that as that that is the common denominator of the miracles of Jesus. The little boy. I don't have much, but I'll give all of it. Now, now, why didn't he say, they say, you got something there to eat, little fella? Yeah. What you got? Well, I got one fish and two loaves. Because he knew he was going to need something for lunch. I'll hang on to one and three. He said he didn't do that. No, he didn't. But what if he had of? Then he wouldn't have been blessed. But that's how some of us live our lives. God has asked for all. Well, I'll give him a little bit. But I'm not going to turn loose of it all. And I'm not asking people. I was in a service one time years ago where that this guy got up and he, he, he was one of those guys. You could tell he was just he was in it for the money for himself. And he was an evangelist and he stood up and he and, and nothing none wrong being an evangelist either. I love evangelists. I've been an evangelist for a while. So it's not about that either. But but this is one of those guys that that he stood up and he literally told people. He told little old ladies, he said, I want you to get your checkbook out right now. And he said, I want you to empty your checkbook account. He said, I want you to write every dime you got to put it, my, put it in my name, put it on this check and turn this offering right now. And he stopped and he said, I feel like somebody here is opposing what I'm saying. If it's you, would you raise your hand? And my dad raised his hand. And he said, sir, would you leave? And dad said, oh, yeah, I'll be glad to leave. So we got up and out the door we went. I'm not saying that. I'm not abdicating that at all. There's been very few times, although there has been a time. There was a time many, many years ago right here in this very church. We were in some kind of a, a campaign of some sort. I don't remember what it was, but the Lord actually told me. He said, empty out your bank account and give everything you got. I went and told Deb. She said, okay, and we did. Fortunately, it wasn't near as much as it is now. I'd hate if he asked me to do it again. It was a little easier back then. Didn't have, didn't have near as much even. But we did it. And the Lord blessed and blessed and blessed. Now, here's where I'm going with this. There's a couple of sides to this here. The fish with the coin in its mouth did not leave the water, wiggle up to one of the disciples' homes and slap the door with its tail until they opened and then vomit a coin out on the porch. Yet there are some of us who are waiting for something like that before we're going to start. Specifically with this reach deal. There are some people, we're six months into this, they haven't paid a dime yet of what they said God told them to do. And I wonder why that is. If you ask them, they would say, well, because he hasn't provided it yet. And then I would say to them, what have you given him to work with? What have you given him that he could bless, break, and multiply? Well, I'm waiting until it's there and then we'll give it. And I'm saying if you're waiting until it's there and you'll give it, it ain't going to be there. It's a sacrifice initially. So when Deb and I made a commitment, we weren't able to write a check for the amount that we pledged. We couldn't write that check at that moment. But you know what we start doing? Start whittling away a little at a time. Hey, there's a couple dollars that we didn't. Here's here's two, three hundred dollars. We didn't know. We didn't know this. Hey, here's some. Hey, one. And you start doing that. And all of a sudden, the Lord starts what? Bless, breaking and multiplying. And now here we are halfway in. And guess what? We're more than halfway done with what the Lord told us to give. 
I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm simply using it as an illustration. There's a whole lot of other people in this room that did the same thing. And, and maybe you couldn't do as much as you wanted at one time. But there's some people saying, well, I'm waiting until tax time. Oh, well, what if it don't come through? I'm waiting until this happens. I'm waiting until that happens. I'm saying to you that if you've got one nickel to put in there, Put it in and let God bless, break, and multiply something because he's never blessed, broke, and multiplied thin air. It always took something that's the common denominator of his miracles throughout. Somebody had to go do and give something and that is what he blessed, broke, and multiplied. Isn't that a good word? I know you're not clapping, but I still think it is. Because here's what that word will do. To that individual who is into this campaign and they've given, they've, already, they've been trying, they've already done, you know, they've done half of it. They're encouraged because they realize, man, this is awesome. This is what God's doing. He's going to keep doing it. To the one that, that wants to give but they haven't gotten started yet, they're not angry either because all of a sudden we just gave them tool to work with. Oh, wow, okay. Well, all right, I, don't, I, I pledge $50 a month, but I'll give five a month. Well, that'll be a start. God will bless, break, and multiply that. That's a good start in place. Something, right? But to the one that gets angry, it's because they didn't pledge anything. They don't like this, and they want me to shut up anyway. Because they live a life of control and fear. So I'm going to give us an opportunity this morning to finish strong. But I want you to understand it is not just about the reach campaign. There's something that is much more important than that. Now, I want to have that canopy, and it's going to cost $125,000, and I, and I know we all got to pull together and how happy we'll be. I understand I've known the song since I was in Sunday school as a kid. I know. I know if we all pull together, we're going to be happy. I know. But there's something here that to me is much more important than raising this $125,000. It is the boils down basic core issue of an individual who may be sitting here week after week, never having surrendered their heart to Christ. Hoping to make, boy, I'm hoping to make it, preacher. You know, I come to church and I'm, I'm, I'm doing the best. I, I hope I make it. And this word today, before you ever get to your pocketbook, it gets to your soul. If you just take those two points and apply them to your soul. He will not bless, break, and multiply anything you don't give him. He will bless, break, and multiply everything that you give him. So if you have not given him your soul, you're in a very, very dangerous place. You're in a lot of trouble. I'm not manipulating you now or trying to scare you. I'm simply telling you, if you die without committing your heart to Jesus... You're going to hell. That's not a good place. There ain't any other place to go. Because the only people go to heaven are the ones that have given their heart to Jesus. That's it. There's only two places. There, there's no other places to go. There's just one or two. Heaven or hell. And people have given their heart to Christ and given their all to Christ are going to heaven. Everybody else is going to... Yeah. It's not a bad word. It's a real place. A lot of church folks are on their way to hell. People that sit in churches every week, listen to messages, watch offering plates go by, listen to music, 
enjoy worship, and they're on their way to hell. Because they haven't given their heart, their life, and their all to Christ. Not enough for you to have simply given him your soul and said, I don't want to cried and went up there and said, and said, oh God, I don't want to go to hell and cried and Lord, take me to heaven. That's not going to, that's not it. Becoming a Christian means you become a disciple of Christ. It means that you die to yourself and you live as unto him. You surrender your all. You allow the Holy Spirit to come in, clean you, change you, make you a new creation. And then you begin to live for him. You don't live for you anymore. So you don't live the same sinful life over and over and over and commit the same sins. But you die to yourself and you live as unto Christ. And anybody that won't make that kind of a commitment is still trying to control. Therefore living in fear. And they're on their way to hell. And that to me is a much bigger issue than whether or not we raise $125,000 for a, a canopy out here on this building. So having said that, I want everybody in this room to bow your head, close your eyes.